Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of the Burn Orange Nation Podcast Network, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe wherever you found it, whether it was Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcast content, you can find us. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, man. Just uh, hanging in there like a little umber lord. Um, that's, that's a, oh, that's our Game of Thrones reference right off the top. That got dark. Yeah, that was probably the scariest thing I've ever seen. Um, but no, I'm doing fantastic, man. Um, (laughs) Game of Thrones is back. More importantly, Texas football, back-ish, you know, got to see some somewhat real football. I got a trip to Austin, you know, did a pedal party up there. Have you ever done a pedal party, Gerald? I have not. No, it's it looked like you guys were having an incredible time. No, that's false advertising. That's fake news. It is a miserable time. If someone invites you to that, say no. It seems like, oh, I ride a, you know, a motor or a bicycle with friends between bars. It's it's a great time. No. Not in Austin. I did it in Houston years ago and it was perfectly fine. In Austin, there are steep uphills that, that you shouldn't be dragging dead weight with 14 people on a bike. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I was in Austin this weekend, so it's still a good weekend. But yeah, don't, don't do that ever. That I would rather drink a lime scooter than uh, <laughs> than do that. Like that would that would be my I would go against all the things the lime scooter app tells you when you open it up, <laughs> then pedal around Austin. I, I didn't even, I hate biking by myself in Austin, much less uh, on a barge with 14 people. You know, I you just had a brilliant business business idea. This is patented, even though we're saying it on the po- podcast. Let's invent a breathalyzer and then sell it to the scooter. So you have to breathalyze before using the, the app after, say, midnight. I think we could probably make a million dollars. We should, for sure. Patent pending. We already submitted it. Don't you try to steal it. So uh, we've got some spring game impressions for you. We did a quick recap with Westcott, but we'll give you a little bit more today. Baseball back in action. Tough weekend. Uh, and then we'll down the 40. And then we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So Texas won the spring game, which is incredible. 11-win season. What's up? Because if, if A&M did it that one time to get a 10-win season, then I feel like we can do it this one time to get an 11-win season. That's fine, though. Shots at the Aggies three minutes in, and I love it. So uh, it's, I think it's a new record for us, Kyle. Is that is that a new record for us? Well, I was I had one in the chamber. I was already going to say, you know, they talked about George R. R. Martin with Game of Thrones um, having his uh, having his library basically at A and M, and it made sense because they are a team that deals purely in fantasy. Um, so you know, that's uh, <laughs> it was coming either way. Yeah, that's good. I like it. So the white team beat the orange twelve to six. If you remove the scores from the circle drill, then white beat orange ten to, uh, ten to three, nah. which high flying action in the spring game uh so kyle you were at the spring game you got to watch texas in action you hit bevo boulevard um you know i I actually because of the aforementioned pedal party i cut it close and and i went straight in and missed you know i saw that it existed there i saw some of the lingering people who i guess missed the opening drive um who, who stayed out there but i i went straight in for 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 football over festivities so i will tell you you missed out on the four brothers food truck that i know is hands down so good you missed out on it if you're going to bevo boulevard and it's there the line's going to be shorter because people don't under uh, understand how good venezuelan food is but that's not what we're here to talk about <laughs> kyle and i do have a venezuelan food podcast called arepa are you kidding me i don't know i got nothing else that's not bad just uh savor the sabor i don't know we'll, we'll work there you we'll go yeah. anywho we, we, yeah we're, we're, we're just workshopping here now so you were at the spring game. You you got to see it in person, and you texted me some uh, some thoughts immediately following. So, what were your impressions of uh, Texas as they wrapped up spring practice with their third and final scrimmage? Uh, well, the the most apparent thing, and I don't know if you quite got it if you were there on TV, 
was I don't think I've ever seen a windier day in Austin. I don't think I've ever seen a windier, like truly, moment in in DKR. Um, It it is an exaggeration or hyperbole. I mean, that's why we had a Big Ten football score because we had some Big Ten Midwestern weather. It was miserable, man. Um, Again, I I actually ended up skipping Ludacris. He also was like an hour and a half late. Um, But just because, you know, it was too cold and I wasn't dressed appropriately, the players, I think, felt a little bit of that. And it's not just a toss, a throwaway comment. I think, you know, Herman said it. I think uh, you saw it in the box scores. It was, it, it did change a little bit of the game, but hey, we have to win ugly. I remember the Kansas State game a couple years ago was played in, you know, a monsoon and everyone just assumed that meant the worst for the horns because it was A, Bill Snyder um, and, and, and B, you know, they have the play style that can win ugly. So, I, I mean, you're going to have to play some games uh, especially in the Big 12 locations where you have to go, where you have to win ugly. So I guess that's something. It is one thing to learn. But because of that, you didn't see a ton from really either quarterback, and I'll say that to say throwing the ball. Um, but, you know, I, I did think the just the size of some of the guys in person was, was impressive. Um, some of that receiving core, I mean, Epps gets all the talk and he's enormous, but there's, there's some, there's some big boys all the way across there. I mean, they, they have, they have some size, uh, which is, which is a fantastic thing to have in, in a conference like this. When you think of, you know, how, how effective, um, little Jordan Humphrey was Colin Johnson's been Akeem Butler, um, having these, those big athletic freaks is, is and I use freaks in the nicest way, a nice thing. Um, there's just some size on that team. Uh, physicality, maybe because of um, the conditions the defense could pin their ears back, just looked physical um, at every position, really, on the defense. Um, you know, it just felt like a physical game, and I like that. So before diving into anything specifically, those were kind of my takeaways. Weather forced a couple things, and, and, and when they got down to it, both sides of the ball really wanted to hit and be physical and that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic thing to to be defined by if that's going to be the mo for Texas. And you mentioned the physicality, especially up front. the the lo- The thing that's not getting talked about in this is that the defense got ran in the first two scrimmages. Like yep. all reports are, like the offense was all up and down the defense. And Tom Herman, for the first time in his now third season at the University of Texas, went into the defensive line room and said, I need more from you. He gave them a flat challenge and it looks like they responded positively. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and I guess we can start there. He mentioned, you know, in the post game that, which I think is hilarious that, uh, Orlando kind of loaded the box because he knew they weren't going to pass, <laughs> which I think is incredible uh, because that's the kind of coach Todd Orlando is. He's Absolutely. going to press the advantage in a spring scrimmage for fans. Love it. Which I think is great. I think it's high stinking hilarious. And you know what? Tim Beck, figure it out. It, Do it. Yeah. Figure it out. Again, you got weapons. You got dudes who, who you know can can basically high five dudes in the upper deck of the uh, of, of DKR. You got some giants. You know, figure out how to get them the ball. But uh, no, I mean, I really actually was impressed with that defensive line, and I thought Keandre Coburn um, looked like everything that you know the prince that was promised, everything that we thought he might be, um, which is exciting. And and you know, I, I do think there was players all over the field, you know, the ones, the twos, um, along the front seven, which is, which is fantastic. Again, we talked last week and in multiple podcasts leading up to this about how we were worried about that. But I really thought Keandre Coburn looks like a guy who is well ahead of where he should be at this point in his career. And it's looking like, you know, he's playing like a third year, uh, player who, who has tons of snaps under his belt and just knows what he's doing out there. Yeah. And I mean the, that rotation, I think the fact that you know, when you talk quarterbacks, if you have two, you don't have one. But with defensive tackles specifically, guys who basically my job is to occupy space mm-hmm. in the center of the defense, and specifically in this you know three three five scheme, that's his job. And mm-hmm. so the fact that you have two guys that you can lean on to play at a high level, because Gerald Wilbon played a good number of minutes last yeah. year yeah. and played played pretty consistently, and and I don't think that you're going to see a drop off there. And Keandre Coburn kind of showed why. He is widely regarded as one of the best defensive tackles to come out of the state of Texas in the last few years. So what that did was it allowed a guy like Jeffrey McCullough, who we had, again, some questions about. Like, is he going to be the guy? Is he going to be the guy to hold it down? And I think he answered that question in the spring game. Now, it's hard to take um, a lot away from, again, his pass protection, specifically because the wind was so crazy. I think they said it was gusting up to 25 miles an hour. But him running with running backs out in the wheel route is impressive. 
his ability to play out there in pass coverage, uh, the interception, he read that perfectly. He dropped back into his zone and read that perfectly. It's basically the same play he picked off against Kansas. That's the same exact play. Uh, And he showed some incredible returning ability after that on both of those. He should have scored in the Kansas game, and he should have scored in the orange and white game. And then him following, uh, I think it was Whittington that he ran with. Or was it Ingram? I'm not sure sure which one it was. Uh, It was was Ingram on the route, yeah. Yeah. No, on the on the not on the interception, but the the pass breakup because he had oh yeah 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 and he had a PBU. And I, I, I don't I think, I think it was I think it was Whittington. I'd have to check. I think it thing. was I I put Whittington in my notes, but I could be very wrong. Um, um, but him running with Jordan Whittington to the point where he was able to put a hand up and and disrupt yep. the pass, that's a huge asset. Like having a running uh, a linebacker that can play well in pass protection as well as play well behind your run stuffing defensive line like that's a recipe for success in the big 12 yeah i mean you think you 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 set this up perfectly right it starts with that defensive line if they're able to do that then you have your linebackers who don't have to you know be constantly in in run protection you can have them doing this i don't think we we thought that this would be a strength that we were talking about with this linebacking core um you know there's some speed there's some pass rushers there's some guys who can come in and hit um but i don't know that you or I thought that because it wasn't just McCullough who I think was the best of the bunch, but Osai actually covered Whittington on a, on a wheel route that would have been a touchdown had he not got, um, you know, a hand in there and made it difficult. Um, you know, so, so if we, if we're getting that type of play from our linebackers at three, three, five becomes really the, the set and base defense um, in, in big 12, where you can come up and, and stop some pretty, you know, pretty solid running backs across the conference. Um, but really more importantly, stop some of the most dangerous passing attacks dangerous passing attacks in the country, um, not just with your backs. And, and, and that said, if we're just moving back to the next the next level, I thought our defensive backs, again, we know what we're down. We know who's not there um, in our two starting safeties. But I thought a lot of people kind of stepped up. And again, limited uh, sample size because of the weather. But when they got chances, they looked good. And I think my player of the game, either side of the ball, um, who, you know, I hate, you know me, Gerald, I hate more than anything to toot my own horn, but I have been uh, singing his praises as Jalen Green. Um, Hong Kong, toot, toot, beep, beep. Um, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I have been hoping to see this from him. You know, a guy who um, probably can just be a plug-and-play replacement for Devontae Davis with probably a little bit more speed, it looks like. I do want to see him cover some of our burners in deep coverage, but just the physicality that, that he showed in this game was was unreal. I mean, it, it looked like... Devonte Davis on his best day. It looked like Chris Boyd when he was when he was locked in. I mean, coming at the perfect time, hitting people with you know all the force of a of a of a incoming downhill strong safety at the cornerback position. You can't ask for much more than that. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's you can't gloss over hit the first kind of notable play where he was able to separate Malcolm Epps from the ball. Yep. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say Malcolm Epps is the biggest receiver in the Big Twelve. Like physically, he's the biggest receiver in the Big Twelve. I can't think. Uh, maybe Denzel was Denzel Mims still a thing? Is he still a guy? Taylor did he I, graduate? Uh, I he, he may have one more year. I would have to double check that. But he he may That's not fine. even he may not even be he may be slightly taller. But I don't think he's quite as big as um, even even still as big as him. But I, I think yeah. Mims might be either, graduating. But either way, yeah. Re- regardless. Malcolm Epps is the biggest receiver in the conference. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Green, who gives up five inches and, what, probably 20 pounds to, was able to forcibly separate him from the ball. Uh, and then in the second half, came down and put a little bit of a boom on Jordan Whittington. I'll call it a spring game boom. I think when the guy's wearing a different jersey, yeah, you put a little more force into that. <laughs> uh, but he looked really, really good. I think overall, again, it's hard to look at the sample size because the passing game was so anemic mm-hmm. because of the wind. But from what there was there, there wasn't really a ton of room. Now, granted, Malcolm Epps had some drops. Uh, you know, Jared Wiley had some drops. So there were there were some inconsistency yeah. from the receivers. So that also plays into it. But from what we saw, again, the small sample size, I I think this secondary is starting to gel. Yeah, and in in I mean the defense was the 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 winner of this basically, but you know you have to take what you can because it's all that we get until and we're, we can analyze this for months to come. Um, until a few months from now, we don't have football, so this is it. Um, so to, to look at the offense from the sample size you got, I think you can take extrapolate some things from that, and and you know we'll start where you like to start, Gerald. I think with the with the big uglies, um, you know, I the ones looked 
good. And again, you have to think about the fact that they're adding a, a grad transfer in, in Parker Braun, who, who probably is going to slide into that uh, into that unit most likely. You know, if if he's as good as advertised and comes in ready. Um, and then you know, you looked at the twos, where it was a little bit of a different story. You wanted to maybe see a little bit more, see some guys step up to get into that rotation of you know, if, if Herb Hand's playing seven linemen who you know who's rotating in because he cross-trained so it's kind of just the the best men up can play wherever the hole is who who were those guys who stepped up so i mean in, in your mind you're the expert who were the who were the best and who are the guys you want to see more from uh well i think angelau is the guy that that we wanted to see a lot from this offseason especially uh because i'm a firm believer that the texas offensive line is better when they have uh someone from that family because if you don't know junior angelau is patrick vahe's cousin so uh that that family needs they're like there must always be a stark in winterfell there must always be <laughs> someone from that family on the texas offensive line let's keep it moving and they are um, they are related to the brockermeyers i believe they are for sure <laughs> no, so uh, <laughs> oh man so no i think him stepping up is great. And when they talk about finding depth, he's the depth because Parker Braun's probably going to take the spot that he right. was occupying uh, and, in the spring game. So there's your sixth man right there. So mm-hmm. really, they need to find a consistent seven, and I think they're good. Um, now, obviously, they're one rolled ankle, one bad rolled pile yep. away from needing an eighth guy or a ninth guy. But, and if we get the luck Texas had two years ago, yeah. again, knock on wood, they'll need a tenth and eleventh guy. But I think... That first unit is real good. I'm yes. really excited to see that. Uh, Shackelford did what he did really well. They held up really well. Again, we, we talked about how good Keandre Coburn and Gerald Wobon were. The fact that Shackelford was able to really meet them at the point of attack was really impressive. And they did, again, you keep it vanilla in your spring game. So we didn't see a lot of that, the, the shifting and the zone blocking and the trap blocking that we saw toward the end of the season, which... Surprise, surprise, Parker Braun is already used to playing at Georgia Tech in the triple option offense. So I think that unit is going to be a strength next year. Yeah, and, and it, w- one area, you, you said Shackelford looked good. I mean, one area I want to see us improve to make sure that it's a strength is that we know who our backup center is because Rafiti Grimai got that chance. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's a learning curve. Jordan Winnington makes things look easy when you just pick up a new position and are phenomenal at it. But Grimai having to snap out of the out of the gun is a tough thing. I mean, we've seen it at Texas before where we've had starters who struggled with that, you know, certainly backups struggle with that. So uh, if Grimai is going to be that guy, then he really needs to work on some of the snapping issues that we saw come out in the game. But otherwise, I mean, I think the talent level is there. Remember that most of that second unit are guys who redshirted last year and haven't actually played a down um, of college football or a, a good chunk of those guys. So they're they're pretty green still heading into their you know their second uh, their second real um, season here and getting another another off season of, of refining and and picking up technique, getting stronger, doing all of those things. So I mean, it's the upside is certainly huge there. Yeah, and you have to take into account that uh, six months ago, Rafiti Gurmai was playing tackle. Yeah. Like, that, that's the thing you have to take into account is that it's not just like – and not saying just as moving from – and granted, Whittington played some running back and some quarterback in, in high school. Mm-hmm. But being – especially in a shotgun center, it's a whole new skill set. Absolutely. Because you've got to be able to look up and diagnose the defense – look back once to locate your quarterback and you're snapping the ball basically blind between your legs. If you don't know, I played a little bit of center in high school and and that's like the shotgun snapping. There's a lot more that goes into it than just throwing the ball between your legs. And so you've got to make sure you put it right where the quarterback needs it. There's a lot of mechanics to it. And for a guy who has what 14 practices under his belt playing it after the opening couple of drives where Casey Thompson got in his ear a little bit, we saw fewer of those snaps on the ground and he kind of started to clean it up a bit. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to, uh, during the summer, we'll get coach Zycheck on and, and y'all can talk center talk about, uh, you know, all the, the, the finer techniques. And I love that, but, uh, for the sake of today and those of us who played skill positions, no, I, I, the offensive line is where you win games. Don't, don't let me, don't hear me wrong, but let's move on to, uh, some of the guys who, who touch the ball a little bit more often. What'd you, what'd you think of quarterbacks? I mean, I, I think, I think Sam maybe looked a little off, probably didn't, you know, he knows the job is his, doesn't have a ton to prove, he's in the win. Um, you know, you said he had the great, or he had the bad play for the interception, it was like really a great play on the defense. He chased it down and made the tackle, which I'd love to see. It's a spring game, Sam. Pull it back a little, bro. 
One, center touches the ball every down, so <laughs> there you go. But Sam Ellinger was one of the top three quarterbacks in a league that had probably the top five quarterbacks in the country. Sure. So um, I'm not too concerned. Now, I could be like the stickler, stick in the mud, um, old man, and be like, you got to take everything seriously. Right, yeah. The leader sets the tone for the team, and the leader does set the tone for the team. Sure. Uh, but I, I don't think you're going to judge Sam's leadership ability based upon his performance in the spring game. Mm-mm. You know, I'm not worried about the quarterback spot other than I want to see what Casey Thompson can do passing the ball. Right. Uh, he looked incredible on the scramble, and I think if it's not spring game rules, he scores two touchdowns going away, uh, one on a designed quarterback run and one on a, on a read-and-run scramble. Um I'm interested to see what he can what he can develop into as, as a passer. Now, again, he is not a dual threat in the backhanded compliment way. He's a dual threat, a legitimate dual threat guy where he can pass the ball. Pass the ball for a ton of yards. Set the Oklahoma State record for total yardage and it wasn't all through on the ground. So, like that's a thing uh, that we could see. We just haven't really been able to get a clean view of it again. Tom Herman mentioned it early. He wants to get a, a better look at Casey Thompson and because of the offensive line issues. It's really hard to see that without him running with the ones. And that's not going to happen with Sam Ellinger on campus. Yeah. To, to give you a bone, Gerald, to go back to the offensive line, he was nine of 23 when he was behind the second unit and five of eight behind the first. So, I mean, getting a little bit more protection, what I'm hoping to see from him is that he, I mean, and, and Sam really did this in the beginning of his career too, you're confident that you can outrun someone. You're confident that you can pull it down and you can beat someone. And so that's your first instinct. That you know, throwing the ball. Daryl Royal had a famous quote about it. But there's some bad things that can happen as soon as that ball leaves your hand. There's some great things. Um, but you know, that kind of freshman mentality is is a little bit shy to throw it. And again, I'll chalk it up to he had some pressure on him, especially when he was behind the second line. Um, and you know, with the wind and with a couple drops already, that he just was going to make the plays. So I'm not going to you know rule that out. But I do want to see. Uh, if he gets any game, real game situations early on this season or whenever he does get a chance to see um, what he can do with his arm in kind of the, the you know throwing part of the game as well. But again, it's it's not a problem to have a different look than Sam and to bring something that you know is different for the defense because he really truly is an electric threat um, at the quarterback position and he showed that with his legs. But the you know the, the other piece of, of the legs is the running back. So what do you think? I mean, we, 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 we'd hyped this up. They were the guys. They were who all the eyes were on. What'd you think? It's hard to judge it because Keontae Ingram had two carries. Mm. Whittington looked good. I mean, he he's not going to be your between-the-tackles guy, so right. get that out of your mind. But when he was coming off the edges and catching balls in space, he looked really good. Uh, he ran by some people. He ran through some people. Uh, I think his biggest strength is going to be the lineup next to the quarterback motion out to the slot five wide look. I think that's where Jordan Whittington's going to make his money. Yeah. Because then they can motion him across the formation in a jet sweep situation. They can hit him on a quick slant with a linebacker who's been covering him out of the backfield. Um, I think that's where Jordan Whittington's strength is going to be at the running back position. Again, we don't really know. Keontae Ingram looks bigger. He put on, they say, somewhere between 10 and 15 pounds mm-hmm. of muscle, which go Yancey McKnight. So that's going to be good. Uh, unfortunately, it looked like Kirko hurt his his wrist. Looked like, um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure what's happening. We haven't really gotten any injury updates. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see how that turns out. But I, it's kind of a mixed bag for me with the running backs. Yeah, and, and here, here's what I'll say is, is I think, again, remember Jordan Whittington's a freshman for the kid to be, you know, supposed to be taking someone to prom next week, you know, to, to be doing that uh, in the game, I think he looks great. And I think he will only get better as, you know, he matures a bit more. So I feel good about that as long as Ingram is healthy and we have that kind of two punch. Um, it, it should should be good. Um, I hate to see Mr. Johnson get hurt again. They put in, I believe, the smallest human I've ever seen um, after that. I truly don't know. I looked his name up and it's already eluded me. I think he was number 47. And, and it could have just been that he was next to Titans, but he looked to be about 5'3". Um, but good for him. I think I believe he was a walk-on. So good for him getting getting some reps in the, the, the basically the, the final drive of the game there. But, I mean, clearly they didn't want to get running backs taking hits. It's, remember, a scrimmage. It's a, a game that doesn't really matter. Um, and, and running back is the position out of all positions that has a shelf life. We know that. I mean, 
data modern science has told us that running backs know how many hits they take in their career so um no need to to run those up just for the sake of, of fanfare um so i you know we'll see i think the question is still out but it, you know we feel better now than we did before we knew that whittington is very capable uh as the second running back in that spot 47 is a deep snapper so i'm trying to figure out who this running back is uh, Let's see. Maybe was it thirty-seven. It Could have been thirty. Jared Wa- Jaron Watkins, five-five-one sixty. There he That'll is. That'll do it. <laughs> there you go. So I just, I think I have, I think I have a new favorite player. I'm going to be watching Jaron Watkins. I know you listen to this podcast. Thank you for the long-time listener. Um, I will be watching all season to see when you get in the game, and you'll have a guy uh, cheering for you. If I'm in the stands, I'll be cheering loudly. If you uh, get in the special teams or anywhere else, I'll be, I'll be rooting you on the the, the five-five. Uh, the five, five demon, I'm calling him. I like it. I like it. So quickly, we've done way more on the spring game than I thought we would. Yes. Uh, the receivers, it's hard to judge that group. Colin Johnson was out. Malcolm Epps was timid early. Jared Wiley still transitioning from playing quarterback for the last two years. Mm -hmm. So there's not a ton on the bone for the, for the wide receivers. It's hard to really get a good good feel of what they bring to the table, especially missing your key players. You've got John Burt still running track. You've got Colin Johnson out with an injury. Devin Duvernay had a nice little Cadillac route, and that could be a consistent thing. And I really want to see them go like five wide with Epps on one side and Johnson on the other and just abuse people underneath. That's kind of my dream scenario. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see Josh Moore. You're going to see Brennan Ingles. You're going to see a lot of guys, and, and you're going to see a lot of guys get you know in that five deep if they run it who who are who are capable. I don't think we saw anything that was like, oh wow, it's a new guy who we haven't seen who's who's it now. Avante Woodward had a couple catches late that looked good. You know, um, there's there's a bunch of names. I think all I saw is there's a bunch of names, but I did want to see a little more consistency. So um, week one, you know, get the all the kinks out, and you know have 400 yards receiving and, and it will all be all be uh, sunshine and roses so I, I think I think we're good in, in our probably greatest position of strength also adding Jake Smith I mean there's there's a lot uh, a lot with Colin Johnson and Jake Smith that, that changes about how a defense plays you when there's also not 20 you know five mile per hour win so um, we'll see and Brew McCoy played sparingly because yeah. of his his uh, eligibility situation that's still kind of up in the air uh, so moving on to baseball, Got a midweek win, finally. So they, they topped the rice, picked up the 300th win for Coach Pierce, and then they traveled to Manhattan where dreams go to die. You know, I've been saying for a long time that midweek games are the real important ones. We should only focus on the results of midweek games. No, uh, I hate Kansas State so much. So unbelievably much. Like, I... I joke about it, but I hate them with every fiber of my being. If I found out that it was my brother out there pitching for Kansas State, I would root against them. I actually found out this morning when my mom texted me that it was actually my second cousin, uh, Jordan Wicks, KSU's uh, the Big 12 newcomer of the week, uh, pitched a complete game in the Sunday uh, 2-0 shutout, um, had a complete game, five hit, shutout against our Longhorns and like I said my mom uh my mom trolled me this morning when she she told me that uh that was my cousin who did the damage Kyle alluded to it Texas uh lost the Friday night game six to four Bryce Elder struggling again with a nearly identical stat line to his last Friday start and he got schlacked at Baylor Saturday the pitching showed up and the bats showed up mm-hmm. 10 to two Texas. I wish, wish Zach Zubia had saved a couple of these RBI for the next game. Mm-hmm. Two for four, six RBI with a grand salami and RBI single and a sack fly. And then Sunday, Texas got blanked and yeah. it wasn't for lack for lack of trying. They left 10 on base mm-hmm. and the Texas four pitchers gave up only six hits and two runs, which most weekends that's enough of a pitching performance with the bats. Texas has to pull out a win. Yeah. And I mean, it, like I said, it was a gem. It was a good pitching performance um, from my cousin from Wicks. Um, but you know, it, it, it just shows a, a pattern here without, without Cody Clemens on this team, you don't have a consistent hitter who you know you're getting every week. I think Danny Davis with the Statesman um, ha- had the tweet that that I found most profound. Uh, he said, you know, they have archived through 
um, basically a hundred years of, of baseball stats minus a couple from the olden days. And Texas has never had a season with a hitter under 300, at least one under 300. Eric Kennedy's at like 286 is leading this team. So this could be historic in the bad way. They need to get the bats working as they kind of close out and, and hopefully get, you know, some stability and then some momentum heading into the, the end of season run, which was the formula last week, or excuse me, last year. Um, but, you know, who's going to step up? Is it going to be Zubia? That's what everyone assumed. He kind of had the protection of hitting behind Clemens last year. Now he's supposed to be the, you know, the the heart and the, the muscle of that lineup. And he's, he's like the rest of the team, flashed occasionally, but not really been consistent. And not to put him exclusively under the axe, but Texas really has to get that figured out. They need to understand even, even you know, about half their wins feel like they've been come from behind late wins where they have to really squeeze something out. They just haven't come out and said, hey, we have a weekend series. We're going to put up six or seven runs spread out across innings every game and we're just going to get hits and have guys in scoring position constantly like it's it's a struggle it's a it's a herculean effort to try to get those runs um so far this season and and, you know you just worry as we get well into it if that's you know if that's something you can change with the injuries they've had with all the the you know extenuating circumstances if that's something they can change to get another uh, omaha run i do have to make a correction they were at home Yes. Which actually makes yes. this worse. Yes, I said. I said in Manhattan, this is actually the first conference series that they've lost at home this year. That that's a troubling sign because it's it's been the home and away situation where they're they're better at home than they are away, and they kind of just laid an egg. Like there's no other way to say that. Friday night they played a good game. I think that was when your Friday starter gets shelled, it's hard to yeah. to recover from that, especially two games in a row. Uh, but Sunday, like they just leave, like leaving 10 on base is not good. Yep. Like that, that's not a recipe to win. Augie, Augie is, is just frowning somewhere, maybe slamming doors and swearing. Um, <laughs> cause, cause that's unacceptable. Like you cannot do that, especially with a trip to Stillwater on the horizon. Which Oklahoma State is yeah, a good team. They they you know still are, are trying to make their claim for the best team in the Big Twelve. Or they're you know pretty close to it. Uh, it. It's just they have to do something. I mean Texas right now sits seventh of nine, of course, in the Big Twelve. Um, Twenty three and fifteen isn't a bad record, but they're just five and six in conference. So they really need to. They really need to get something going here, uh, like they did last season, and kind of really go on that run. Uh, they're they're not really capitalizing on the fact that they played one of the hardest months in March, so April should be a breeze. Um, they they're they're not really having more success against opponents that are you know inferior is a tough word, but not as good um, as the as the teams they played through that month. So I mean. One more home game with Lamar, and then traveling to Oklahoma State. They uh, they have West Virginia coming in, who had this week's you know national pitcher of the week, uh, which you know is fun to think about. Luckily, they get Kansas, but then end with OU. I mean, there's 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 some wins in there, but there's some tough games in there too. Um, so it's going to be curious how they how they final it off. You know, uh, with with a big run, if they they puff out the chest and remember their Texas. Um, you know, I, I I think this is probably. Indicative though they they probably were somewhere around the fifteenth to twentieth best team in the country. I don't think they were ever, and we said it in this podcast, a top ten team. Injuries and things considered, but that doesn't mean you can't get the momentum and play like a top ten team at the right time of the season. And that's what they did a year ago. Is they were up and down in conference play. They were good some weeks, not so good some weeks, and put on a bit of a show in the postseason. So maybe that's maybe that's David Pierce's recipe for success. Absolutely, and and they are a better team pitching wise, especially this year than last year. But before we move on, Kansas State, I have one more stat I forgot to go over, just to show how much I hate Kansas State and, and give why it's justified. Last year, Kansas State went five and nineteen in Big Twelve play. The only team in which they got two wins was UT when they won that series last year. Uh, this year, with the two wins uh, against UT, they improved to three and six in the conference. They had one coming in, so. It is not fake. There is voodoo. There is Bill Snyder magic. There is some kind of, you know, smoke monster that he's birthed. There is some kind of, you know, troublesome blood magic going on here. And we we really need to figure out a way in all sports to break it. Stop losing to Kansas State. Is it Bill Snyder or is it the curse of Ron Prince? 
because you know my feelings on Ron Prince. Uh, yeah, I, I know very well. It could be, it could be, you know, Jordy Nelson. It, it really could be the curse of DeLos Dodds, who, if you remember, is a Kansas State ran track, I believe, at Kansas State. So, I mean, did he was all of the the success that he brought to Texas, you know, with the poison pill that we would beat everyone except Kansas State? May. Be. But speaking of beating everyone, it's the part of the show where we take you through the teams that don't necessarily bring in the revenue, but bring in the wins where we down the 40. And we're going to start with a pair of champions. Number one nationally ranked men's tennis closed out the regular season at Oklahoma with a win to secure their eighth conference championship, fifth outright with a perfect conference record they claim the number one seed in the big 12 tournament which means a first round bye and they will take on the winner of OU and Texas Tech who remember 15 seconds ago they beat uh, each of them already this season women's tennis back-to-back big 12 regular season champions again they are doing big things they're the number one seed they also get a first round bye they're going to take on the winner of Baylor and Iowa State in the quarterfinals, tennis, doing big things. As you said, Gerald, um, as I said on the podcast and we talked about after this, there, there is only one way to beat a Tarati, and that's with another Tarati. And you put it a great way when you said Texas has the market cornered on Tarati. So unless a team unveils, you know, a secret Targaryen-type Tarati, um, some, you know, R plus L equals Tarati type type lineage. I'm sorry. It's a lot of Game of Thrones. It's still fresh. Uh, sorry. Texas women are looking good. Texas men, I mean, just to put it in perspective, they just won the Big 12 champs with probably one of the biggest tennis, you know, scandal issues, whatever, um, in college, at least in Texas tennis history, um, in the dismissal of their coach halfway through. Just, just you know, applaud those guys. That is fantastic. I am so proud of those 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 kids making it through any ad- adversity, and and you know hopefully they'll see it all the way out to a national championship. Yeah. So again, Big Twelve tournament coming up this week for both of those squads. Number seven men's golf finished second at the Arizona State Thunderbird Invitational. Cole Hammer finished second place with Pearson Cootie finished number 11. They get a week off from competing before taking part in the big 12 championships on April 26th. The women are already in the throes of the big 12 championship. Number two women's golf is 22 (laughs) strokes in the lead after two days with the final on Tuesday, the day you're recording it, it would take a historic meltdown for them not to walk away with a conference championship. Yeah, four of their five uh, golfers are in the top five uh, of the golfers competing. They are they are locked and loaded. Um, never say never, but I, I imagine by the time you're listening to this or if you listen to it early, sorry, but if you listen to this on your commute home, uh, they will probably already have clinched because um, I'm sure about halfway through day three they can they can officially lock that up but yeah looking uh, likely to get their third consecutive uh big 12 crown that's that's big what does it look like in college golf when you like when you've clinched the tournament like what what do the rest of your your what does the rest of your 18 look like from that like do you take it seriously do you go for do you go for records or do you just coast in i think you go for records um if it was me i would switch and play opposite i'd play left-handed just because that's the type of, of stuff I like to do. That's why people hate playing against me. I'm, I'm a terrible, terrible winner, but an even worse loser. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think they go for it because, you know, at this point they're thinking about the NCAA regionals coming up and, you know, they want that mentality of every shot, seeing it go in, you know, just, just pin seeking. Uh, and let's see how big we can get this. Who, who says it can't be 50? Love it. So Kyle, it's now that time where you bring <coughs> in your Texas softball update. So the ladies had a week off. Doesn't mean I did. Uh, they had no uh, weekend series. They did have a midweek victory over U of H, five to zero. Um, and, and since they didn't have a weekend series, I just dove in the stats a bit here. Since since March thirty first uh, at Oklahoma State, uh, our sophomore catcher Marion. We had a discussion about how you say her name before this, but uh, we both know it is uh, Um has been on fire. Uh, five hundred average. Nine runs scored, four homers, nine RBIs, slugging 
a ridiculous 1250 also reached base safely in five of those six games. So you think it's just the bats? Oh, no. Texas pitching staff has posted a paltry .42 ERA over the last five games. Four shutouts, just seven walks in five games, 34 strikeouts, and you know a 164 batting average in 33.2 innings of work. Um, and, and we talked, you know, about the other pitcher, Miss Elish, who had a fantastic week and was the Big 12 pitcher of the week last week. Um, but don't forget, don't sleep on Shaylin O'Leary, who has gotten her egregious um, ERA back down to. which is the best in NCAA. She's allowed six earned runs in 83 innings. Those are her first 83 innings. Remember, this is freshman Shaylin O'Leary. So just crushing it. Texas right now uh, just just released RPI's number five. Um, They're number 11 in the polls, number five in RPI, the sixth toughest strength of schedule with 27 victories over RPI top 100. Um, they're They're doing big things, and, you know, they have a couple tough ones left, but they're doing big things, and they're in, in the perfect form for it. Yeah, so they're going to take on UT Arlington uh, the day you're recording, or, or you're listening to this, uh, and then have a weekend series against OU, uh, who is 35-2. and two. I think they haven't lost uh, in about 1,000 games, or I guess probably like 30-ish games or so. Uh, so... That'll be a tough test to see what they come away with, and then we're gonna we're gonna omit the ranking. Uh, no, we're gonna go number sixty nine men's basketball. Nice uh, <laughs> national invitational tournament champion Texas men's basketball loses a key piece as Jackson Hayes declares for the NBA draft. The Big Twelve Freshman of the Year set a Texas single season record for field goal percentage and was third in the conference in blocks. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a guy who came off the bench as recently as his junior year of high school. Didn't really start in his career until a senior. Just has has had unbelievable, really unfathomable, unparalleled um, progression already. Which which you know means that he can project as high as in a lottery pick because the upside seems to be limitless with him. Um, we'll miss having him, but they did win the tournament um, when when he was injured, and I think you know whatever team gets him we'll see probably two to three years before you get a really polished product but could be could be very very good in a long line now of uh, of ut bigs uh, all around the league it's gonna be hard to see him go but uh again like you said i think it's exciting to see the streak of texas bigs who it's great to see like the argument of which texas center is the best shot blocker in the nba conversation happening so let's just keep that thing going with a guy who was third in the conference in blocks. So it'll be great to see. And Kyle, you have a, um, a burning update on, on a kind of a, a breaking news story from a week ago. Yeah. I appreciate all the, uh, the hundreds of people who tweeted at me, maybe thousands about this um, story. I, I was glad to shine a light on, um, to really rectify a wrong that all these, these years of doing the podcast, we haven't really talked about one of our most dominant programs, and I banged the drum last week on on the the Texas Quidditch team, um, and I just want to confirm that they they showed out, they lived up to it, they did what they needed to do. Texas Quidditch won the collegiate division of the twelfth ever U.S. Quidditch Cup. Now Texas has won. A lot of these. I told you they won three in a row. This is their fourth out of 12. Um, but but to be even more impressive, they only lost because they had to play non-college teams. And they now have a college division, so Texas may never lose again. But you ask, so what is the other division? Of course, the U.S. Quidditch plays now a community um, division as well. So who was the community national champions? That's right, boys and girls. It was Texas Calvary based out of Austin, Texas. You know, I don't have anything to add uh, other than it's, it's pretty clear now that that Ilvermorny School for uh, Witchcraft and Wizardry is is located in Austin, Texas. I have no idea what that means, but I, I, I feel like I feel like I'm, I'm proud that I don't. It's it's the U.S. version of Hogwarts, Kyle. It's the best <laughs> way to describe it. Uh <laughs> Sorry, Kyle and I went really nerdy today. That brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Oh, it's basketball time, Gerald. We, like I said, 
we finished college basketball. Um, we know now that UT is one of the two men's national champions. Um, but there is still basketball being played. The NBA is going on. Playoffs started. It's been a, a fun and fruitful and beautiful um, opening, basically. And, uh, you know, Longhorns did pretty good in the first round of games. Uh, they went 6-2 and two in games one. A uh, win for Kevin Durant, a win for Lamarcus Aldridge, a win for Jared Allen, um, and, and two of those were upset wins. Uh, a win for both DJ Augustin, and although he's he's injured, I'm counting it a win. Mo Bamba over the uh, the Raptors, which I think everyone in the country is rooting for Kawhi Leonard to fail. Um, just crazy to think he's only got three more games before he leaves uh, Toronto. Um, they, they did have two losses in the same game with Corey Joseph and Miles Turner losing to Boston. P.J. Tucker getting a win um, for the Rockets. Uh, the, the best of those, I believe, was the the big win for the Magic over um, the the Knights Kawhi. Um, the, the, the Raptors, you know, long thought to be shoe-ins for the Eastern Conference uh, finals uh, to, to play and lose to whoever comes out of the West, um, actually lost their opening game thanks to DJ Augustin hitting a game-winning fantastic three uh, right in Kawhi's um, silly face. And it, uh, not a not a sad Spurs fan or anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fantastic to see Longhorns playing. I, I mean, I think, obviously, with Durant has the best chance to add another championship. Uh, to, you know, Aldridge has a chance to get an upset series win. Jared Allen um, played fantastic in their, their upset over, over the 76ers. Uh, it's just really good to see the, the team running deep. And, and as we talked about big men earlier, the line of big men who are already there, Bleacher Report tweeted out that there's a new block king in the NBA and showed some of uh, showed some of Jared Allen's best dunks of the year over some of the best players in the league, LeBron, James Harden. And, uh, and, that my probably my favorite tweet of, of last week was was Miles Turner uh, retweeting and say uh, saying really oh don't know that I agree but hashtag okay cool hook him um, which just shows a, a savvy both on and off the court but just to to see why Miles Turner was was. Uh, was thinking of something else. He he is first in the league in blocks, first in blocks per game, and leads the league in opponents' field goal percentage at the rim. So there's a very very legitimate case for Miles Turner, Longhorn for life, Defensive Player of the Year. I think Jared Allen just gets the shine because he looks like that dude that rolls up to the YMCA to play basketball. Um, that needs an edge up and like has you know, a weird mustache situation happening. Uh, I think the, the, the look of the guy adds to the mystique of the guy. Cause it doesn't look like somebody that should be able to ball like he does. Um, while miles Turner is, and will forever be the coolest guy to don a bucket hat. Uh, so I am banging the drum this week on a story that I still don't know if it's true or not, but I love it. Uh, and it's very on brand for us and for me. So stumbled upon a little interview um, with a teammate of Puna Ford, who uh, again had an incredible rookie season. Uh, guess the equivalent of coming off the bench for Seattle late in the year. Um, it made a splash was one of the top rated defenders or rookie defenders according to pro football focus. So he made his first career start on December 2nd, uh, and kind of got all up in San Francisco, San Francisco's grill from the early onset. I think he had, uh, tackles on all three of their first plays, uh, and then came back and set a career high against their second matchup with the 49ers, uh, with six tackles and three tackles for loss. Uh, so his teammate and offensive linemate, Quentin Jefferson, who just signed his, uh, his franchise tender with the Seahawks recounted the second of those two games and said, I remember we were playing San Francisco and I hear the center literally like crying because he couldn't block Puna. There was nothing he could do. Puna was whooping him. I don't know what else to say other than go back to the tape. We said it. We said it on this very podcast that Puna Ford was going to make NFL GMs, whoever drafted him or ended up grabbing him as a free agent, look like a genius. The man is making grown men cry. Like, I don't know what else to say other than good job, general manager in uh, in Seattle. Like, there's no nothing else to say other than that. And, oh, my gosh, Poon is incredible. 
I hope we never run out of Puna stories, and I feel like right now we're, we're not very likely to. Um, we've noted this is a, pretty much a Seattle Seahawks, Michael Dixon, and Puna Ford, um, at least halftime podcast, you know, half of the time. But uh, I hope we never stop getting these stories so that I'd never have to have to hop, stop hearing you say his name. Can I get one more just, just for the good folks at home? Puna! There it is. Oh, love it, G. So, yeah, that's... There's no two ways around it, so I'm glad to have it. We missed this earlier, and I wish I had had it in my notes, but we got some replies of Texas during the spring game. So Chris Ray, Chris Ray82 on Twitter, um, we we asked for some responses, and we specifically he chimed in about um, the the freshmen, the early enrollees. He said, "I know Brew was rated higher in the rankings, but I think I'm more excited about Whittington, quite frankly." And that that's a fair. Uh, fair assessment of what we saw from the spring game. Yeah, I mean it, that's that's a great point. I think I think Brew has a potential to be a monster here, but, but right now Whittington is a key cog in this offense, and I, I think the you know rankings are important. We all know that. We've seen the data time and time again. They matter. Recruit rankings matter. But you also look at you know what we talked about with um, losing to Gabriel Floyd Floyd for the season and who's going to step up. I mean, a guy who who led his particular unit in tackles uh, was Marcus Tillman, uh, who was a, a very underrated, kind of undershined linebacker in this class who isn't a real loud guy, just goes out, looks the part for sure, um, but goes out and just hits people. That's what he likes to do. He did it in the spring game and he might be a guy who ends up contributing on, on this defense right away just because anything you put in front of him, he 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 makes plays. So um I, I think that's a that's a great point and, and thanks for thanks for tweeting. Yeah, thank you so much. You can interact with us on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Use the reply the replies of Texas hashtag for us to see it but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter, and also find uh, me uh, retweeting at Texas Quidditch. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can check me out on our other on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. This week we're breaking down the first episode of Game of Thrones. No shock to you if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> and we do a little bit of a deep dive on the new Star Wars trailers. You can check us out, Two Woke Nerds, wherever you find your podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook 'em. Hook 'em, watch out for the wind.